Okay, um, this is WHCL 88.7 from Clinton, New York, um, and this is Finding Dodo. My name is Miyano Sumi, and I'm going to, well, so the show talks about different historical topics, and, um, yeah, so today's historical topic, or historical figure, as these, um, shows tend to be, is about Coretta Scott King, um, and, yeah, another person that, Oh, I wasn't going to say the name first. Um, but yeah, another person that is very famous and accomplished in her own right, but kind of got overshadowed by her husband's activities and persona, I suppose. Um, yeah, like we don't have enough of those in, in our history books so far. But yeah, she's really interesting because um, he himself obviously deserves the recognition that he has, but um, she definitely, I feel like, deserves a lot more, especially after doing today's research, I realized how much of an integral part of, because I'd always, um, actually Martin Luther King, so MLK Day came, um, I'm going to take off my jacket because it's, it's a little loud, um, so, ML, yeah, so MLK Day came um, a while ago, and it was celebrated on campus, and um, I think a lot of the times the really more interesting parts of who he was and what he stood for are not talked about because they're like the more controversial parts but um and and I always really admired those parts of him like I'll be talking about later speaking up about the Vietnam War and his pacifist activities and um I'm scrolling down to see what else I wrote <laughs> oh yeah his obviously his economic justice um I tried looking for this but the link didn't work um but yeah about how he later on in his life came out as a not out of like the closet but like I mean it is quite risky to do this he came out as a democratic so socialist and I always really thought those parts of him were very very interesting and I didn't know that not only was did she carry on his legacy but she really encouraged those parts of um, who he was and the kind of activist he was so that was a really long introduction but yeah so <laughs> Coretta Scott King she um, was called the first lady of the civil rights movement which I think I heard that and I was like that sounds so much cooler and more meaningful than like a regular ordinary first lady because like the civil rights movement is like the best part of um, like that is the part of America that I feel like I'm proud of and stuff so yeah that's a really cool title but that's not the only thing about her that was really interesting um kind of saying first lady delegates her to just like the sidekick role which um she was an activist in her own right and I thought it was so funny because time called her when profiling MLK as a as the man of the year in 1964 they just referred to her as a quote talented young soprano which she was but nothing about her activism and intelligence and the role she played in the civil rights movement herself um so we'll dive into her early life she was born in Marion Marion, I suppose, Alabama, and it was really crazy reading this. Um, she lived with her paternal great-grandmother, who was a former slave, and she died, oh dear, I don't even know exactly what year she died, um, Coretta Scott King. Wait, let me actually look that up, because I'm so embarrassed. She died, I wrote it late, oh, it's too, it's, my document today is too long, because I had so much to talk about, um, but she died in, in, in this century, and the fact that someone who died in this century has, um, lived with their family member that used to be a former slave, like, was, I mean, it's, nothing is over, obviously, the battle for equal rights, um, 
on many different levels not just on race is not over but just thinking of like this we think of as the most abhorrent and an old despicable institution of slavery is still just not even that it's, it's a lot closer than you think it is um like I was just saying like you know rear view mirror like objects are closer than they appear it really is like history and the painful scars of history are a lot closer than we think and I guess I think because I don't carry many of those scars um yeah and so that was really crazy and her not only so she lived with that great grandmother but um her other grandparents were former slaves as well and um she if you see her she's a very beautiful woman um and she doesn't look completely like she doesn't have um as dark skin as like for example her husband did and she was ethnically part irish or white or something um and i, I was kind of confused about her family relationships because it went back so long um but from the gist i got it seems like there was something about a master-slave relationship um and so that would obviously some historians interpret that as being automatically rape because of the unequal power dynamic of that what that relationship would entail and most likely like they usually were coerced in that way so that's kind of a dark topic <laughs> but um yeah so then on to her own parents not her great not her ancestors or whatever her mother only had a fourth grade education but stressed the importance of education for her children and her yeah, fourth grade education is really just yeah our education system was not doing a good job back then and um her father was a policeman who then became a moderately successful businessman and he sold clothes and he also had a lumber mill um but she had early contacts with violence from angry white people because um her father's lumber mill actually was burned down by such people so yeah i mean alabama deep south like this is definitely not surprising um <clears throat> and so she grew up she was very smart um graduated as valedictorian from her high school and she, the system at that time I didn't even think of this but like it obviously it was before Brown v. Board um so it was very much segregated and she had to travel nine miles to get to school because that was the closest all-black school and um she didn't have that many options for college either so she went to um Antioch University where they were trying to be more inclusionary and her sister her older sister oh, oh my god I forgot her older sister it started with E I think um went there first and kind of paved the way which I think is really cool and she followed and she got a scholarship there and she received a bachelor's in music music and education so yeah going this is a very long theme in her life too music is very important to her and she is an active like she 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 kind of gave up being an activist I she kind of gave up her like her dreams for a musical career to be an activist but she also tried to combine the two which is really cool but um yeah so music was her main passion for her early part of her life she was in musicals and she did all sorts of instruments like I just remember it was like a lot of a lot of instruments that they were talking about that she was playing Anyways, um, and she got a scholarship to go there, but then she transferred to study concert singing at the New England Conservatory for Music, and she earned a degree for voice and violin. And 
while she was there, that was uh, the conservatory was in Boston, and that's where she met Martin Luther King Jr., who was studying for his doctorate in systematic theology. I actually don't know what that is. I'll have to look that up later because it sounds interesting. Um, at he was studying, he was getting his doctorate at Boston University. Uh, so they were both in the same city, and they met through a mutual friend who um, gave him her phone number, and they met and they hit it off and um, they talked about racial and political issues in one article I read. It was from the Atlantic. I'm not sure how accurate it was, but um, at, apparently at this point she was more politically minded and engaged than even he was. Um, and so she kind of pushed him in that direction. And it was really hard um, that they, their courtship went by quite quickly um, and her her parents were okay with it, I think, but her the, the uh, Martin Luther King's um, parents were not, I was just thinking, like, I, his name is so long, I think I might end up calling him, like, Martin or her husband, because <laughs> it's getting so long, um, but his fa- his parents were not very on board with it, especially his father, um, but eventually they were married, um, it, I, I feel like the dad was just kind of like, no one's worthy of my son, kind of guy um but yeah eventually they were married anyways in 1953 and it's interesting she took out the part in her wedding vows about obeying her husband which is so cool like 1953 and already like feminist um that's great and they took up residence in Montgomery, Alabama, where she settled in as a pastor's wife, and this was in, they settled in in 1954, and already, as some of you may know, um, in 1955, the really famous Montgomery, Alabama boycott was happening, and it was at the end, I think it started in December 1955, um, and so, I mean, it's, it's like a year, but already, like, a year, and, and he was basically elected as, like, the leader of that boycott, and really pushing it forward, and she was, a part of the boycott and they were actually talking about um how women really um took the brunt of that boycott because they had to find other ways to get to work um as you know rosa parks was a woman she was the one that started the sort of uh catalyzed the boycott so um yeah and so she was helping him out with the boycott already in 1955 they would go on to have four children together um, and all the kids are really active today, too, which is really cool. Like, it runs in their DNA. I mean, I guess if you have Coretta Scott King as your mom and Martin Luther King as your dad. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, yeah, going on to sort of activism that happened in that... I'm going to talk about activism that was that happened, kind of like split it activism that she did during his life and then after his life. So, um which where after her after he was killed she took on a much larger role um but yeah even as he was still alive she would do speaking events she would hold freedom concerts that she would organize and perform at um and uh, people loved her singing great reviews they traveled to ghana mexico and india for various sort of political reasons um in india it was kind of a pilgrimage for gandhi i think in ghana it was uh they were celebrating the independence and in mexico it was like they were looking at economic disparity um that's off the top of my head um i just wrote down they like traveled a lot and uh, she was also the liaison in within the kind of activist group i suppose for peace organizations and this is really like her i feel like music is her big thing and also pacifism and anti-nuclear 
war and development was her other really big passion um kind of like separate from more so than you would like more so than normal I'm not trying to say this like obviously she was like did the basic like racial rights and um economic rights but yeah she was really passionate about peace and pacifism and yeah there how it was really dangerous being being married to him but also I'm sure it was dangerous her herself was she was also an activist it was also dangerous to be doing what she was doing but I mean especially with Martin Luther King as such a huge figurehead um their house was shot at it was they she picked up the phone and she would have death threats for her husband and he was stabbed in 1958 at a book signing and I was reading a little into this and um, it was actually a black woman with paranoid sh- 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 sorry schizophrenia, um, and he like was die dying basically. She stopped him with um I think it was like a letter slitter or something. Um, we don't really use those these days. I just rip open my letters, but um and and he wakes up basically from like almost being killed by this lady. But he's like, oh, it was a mental illness. Like I have no ill will towards her. Like everything's cool, kind of thing. And I was like, mm, I'd be so mad if someone stabbed me. Like even if it's a mental illness, I wouldn't like immediately have the openness of heart to be like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Um, but yeah, he's obviously I am not Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and but she, throughout all of these these really dangerous episodes um she was really his rock and she stood by him and even when her parents oh I just hit something because I was so passionate about this um even when her parents were telling her like leave and not leave him but like leave to a safer place and even um his parents were saying like this is too dangerous for you and the kids she was like no I'm staying here I'm staying by my husband and by this cause um very brave lady and she oh yeah I already said this like she used her singing for her activism which had really been she wanted to be a singer that was her dream and she was kind of like she did the concerts but I think I already spoke on that and oh yeah so the the last sort of um big thing while he was alive that she did was the Kennedy phone call which I think is really famous and uh, people might know about this but um Oh, wait, let me turn up the volume a little. Hello? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Kennedy was, I actually asked, I was asking my grandmother the, grandmother the other day who her favorite uh, president was, and she said Kennedy. Um, well, my grandma's Irish uh, Catholic, so that kind of makes sense. But um, yeah, Kennedy is like a really popular, I mean, Camelot, that whole sort of mythical idea of him, like he's very popular even today. And, um, and, and he was running for president. Yeah, that's what I was going back to. He was running for president. And, um, and, and what, what was exactly was uh, Martin was locked up for some technicality, and he had been causing trouble or so they say obviously like doing the right thing but um sort of like yeah they arrested him and um they were kind of like they they didn't have like because he was a non-violent he was a passive protester so I don't think they could really trump up so many charges on him but they were going to send him to so they got him on a technicality like something about license car licensing and they were afraid they were going to um uh, the people that were on his side were afraid they were afraid that they were going to work um MLK to death in prison because he was sentenced to 4 months of hard labor and um yeah really rough stuff we don't 
you know, he, it, it, like, honestly, reading, I was reading about Coretta, but, like, at so many points, I feel like he could have been killed, like, honestly, he was even saying, like, if, when his, when he got, like, stabbed in the heart with the letter opener, um, he was saying, oh, if I had sneezed, even at that point, I would have died, because it was a stab to the heart, and it would have just been, I guess, sneezing, like, is not good for when you're stabbed in the heart, which kind of makes sense, um, but, yeah, anyways, and so, um, but, yeah, all, again, his life was sort of on the line, and he was being sent off to four months of hard labor. And Shriver, who's a really interesting family, they started the Peace Corps and the Special Olympics, so very inspiring family. Um, the Shriver, oh, I forget his first name, but he was he was working for um, Kennedy as part of his campaign, and he was like, well, you know, this happened, um, Martin Luther King Jr. is in prison now, and, like, you should kind of, like, call the wife and be nice about it and so he's like okay and so he did and that got out to the press and I think even Coretta kind of talked about it to the press um and he was just like I support I'm sorry I, I know you're pregnant and this must be so rough for your family and just like said nice things to her as I feel like a decent human being should when a a lady's husband just got thrown in jail um but yeah it really helped him actually because he got an unprecedented unprecedented amount of support from black americans and um one of those votes was i thought this is a really cute story was from uh, mlk's father who i said before was like really against the marriage and he said oh i'll vote for the devil himself well i cannot saying that kenny's the devil but he said like i'll vote for anyone if he'll wipe the tears from my daughter-in-law's eyes kind of saying like oh thanks for like you know it was nice to kind of reach out to Coretta and um yeah got a lot of sympathy from the black community and um also bobby kennedy got the release for martin martin luther king jr so they really did help out, and, um, yeah, beyond that, she was kind of, I said that was the last big thing, but one more thing, she was, it, even before he died, she was involved in feminist, like, the feeling, not just the feeling, but what was kind of written in articles was he was not, like, women's rights wasn't his thing, like, he, he did expect her to kind of just stay at home and be a housewife and support him, um, and she was like, mm, I can do more than that, and so she was really active. She went out to protest. She went out to organize for women's strike, uh, women's and peace marches and events. And she participated in the Janet Rankin Brigade, which was also the Women's Strike for Peace in 1968. So she was part of organizing that. Okay. Um, okay, the next topic. What time is it? Um, oh, dear. I can't tell the time. Oh, 620. Um, yeah, the next topic, I'm... I'm not sure if I should even, like, get into, I was like, would this take away, but I feel like you can't get around it because people talk about it so much, which is her relationship, her romantic, sort of that side of her relationship with, um, Martin, and, okay, like, about the whole cheating sort of stuff like that, and so there was this, first of all, like, it, the FBI, like, I want to talk about the privacy part of this, the privacy issue part of this, where, under Hoover, the FBI was like, we're going to find dirt on this guy, so let's wiretap his house and read all their personal letters and completely invade their privacy. And according to the, like, I read this on the, in, you can fact check it, the International Business Times, that they actually convinced Robert Kennedy to 
like be a part of this like they convinced him um because he was in some position where they had to convince him um to do this operation um so yeah kind of like the kennedys oh i'm getting too loud because this is really distressing um but um turn down the mic um but yeah so the kennedy family is kind of hard to read how much they're doing it for political gain and how much they're doing it because like they genuinely genuinely care um yeah because like robert kennedy was brothers with jfk so if he knew then you know it kind of complicates the whole thing um but yeah so they wiretapped and invaded the family's privacy but besides that like he apparently like they got tapes um and there have been corroborating sources that like close sort of friends of the family that he was an adulterer and he was cheating on Coretta with a lot of women and um she has maintained that he never told her anything and that if he didn't tell her anything then it can't be true because he would be like she believed in his goodness that like he would be too good where the guilt would weigh down on him so he would have to tell her sort of thing I don't know like I feel like you want to as a wife you would want to believe that um but yeah it's it's super it's very sad um and it really puts a dent in the whole thing and it i mean but also i want to add that they were much more than a marital relationship i feel like they were in a partnership towards a greater movement and she herself was talking about how she felt like she was a part of something greater than just like herself and her husband it was part of a very big movement um but yeah it certainly for me it diminishes martin luther king jr um and it shouldn't but it should not detract anything from coretta if anything i think it adds a more sympathetic light to her and the fact that she is yet another woman that has to stand by as her husband like screws things up and personally and she has to stand by him both for i think kind of like political reasons like the wife stood by kind of like adds validity i don't know but um yeah it still happens today and i just think it's really really wrong to cheat no matter the circumstances and no matter who you are especially if you're the figurehead of an important movement honestly and i don't know i am sympathetic and like i very much respect coretta scott king for um i guess like not just sticking it through that's not because she did more than that you know she was like doing um like really supporting him from on all different levels like personal and publicly and politically and intellectually so anyways that is that i just wanted to touch upon that um yeah so then he got killed that's the next part of this show um he and and i wanted to talk about actually that's not the next part of the show i wanted to talk about like the parts that I, of, of Martin Luther King that I think are interesting and how actually she was behind those things and how she kind of furthered them and took them a step further and carried them on after he was killed. Um, so Martin Luther King is like much more radical than people think today. Everyone is like, oh yeah, I'm okay day. That's great. That's, that's awesome. But um, when he died, he had a 75% disapproval rating among Americans. And I used to tell this fact to people and I thought it was 75% disapproval rating among white Americans, but it's, like, among all Americans. Um, yeah, it's really crazy how times have changed. And he opposed, so first of all, first of all, he opposed the Vietnam War. That was the one thing that really broke him off from the establishment, sort of. And 
um, when he, and, and she was really behind this, um, and when he was asked in some sort of conference, um, how much his wife knew on anti-war, she was kind of, kind of as like, oh, haha, ha, silly women, he said, oh, she educated me, which I think is really cool, and she came out against the Vietnam War before he did, publicly, but when he, and she was, like, pushing him to do so to be true to his conscience in a way and when he did it had a really huge effect so there's like the really famous Riverside Church speech that he did in New York City in 1967 um and it's it's so crazy like I was reading up about the Vietnam War because of this and um over winter break I was watching with my parents like the documentary it's a really famous it's like one of the most famous political documentaries I think it's called hearts and minds or hearts and souls but um it's a really great documentary and you can almost watch it kind of like oh it's it's past and like we're not involved in the Vietnam War anymore it's over but um so you can kind of look at it like oh that was so terrible but like it's also so hauntingly um just it happens today like the same sort of things are told to us and the same sorts of lies are told to us and propagated um to intervene in countries to d in in this day and age too so i highly recommend everyone go out and watch that um oh yeah i was going back to that because in that documentary they were showing how like every like it spanned across four presidencies democratic even more i think democratic and republican that just kept this war going and kept our engagement um there was u.s active engagement from 1954 and he does finally come out against it in 1967, Martin Luther King does, and he says, my conscience leaves me no other choice, um, and as one greatly concerned about the need for peace in our, world, in our world and the survival of mankind, I must continue to take a stand on this issue. So very, that's, that's admirable, and that's uh, morally consistent of him to do. And um, after he got killed, she carried on his legacy and gave a famous speech called Ten Commandments in Vietnam. And it's a great speech. I want to say the whole thing, but I can't. Um, so she talks about, like, the different Ten Commandments on Vietnam. And my favorite one was, Thou shalt not believe that the Vietnamese love us. I think that's a great one. Um, and, yeah, because, like, oh, my God, especially if you watch the Hearts and Minds documentaries, it's, like, U.S. just bombing <laughs> so much, like, drop we dropped oh geez i want to remember the exact exact statistic when i was like in camp when i was re researching on cambodia before um it was like we dropped more bombs on that tiny country than we did in the in all the bombs that were dropped in the pacific theater of world war Two. and i think something like 90 percent of that was indiscriminate which just is so so wrong um the volume just really went up at that point let me turn it down a little um yeah so that still goes on today um and then she also in the 10 commandments on vietnam speech she talks she defends her husband's name um and says like oh people criticized him for like his vietnam position but and she kind of was talking like bring putting him up or bringing him up but she also talked about her own stuff like uh, peacemaking and quote the interrelatedness of domestic and foreign affairs is no longer questioned the bombs we drop on the people of vietnam continue to explode at home with all of their devastating potential and that's really talking about the diversion of funds that 
could be used to uplift black communities and people of color that um martin luther king had like i think it was like a 50 oh my god what was it like 50 billion dollar project to get work for and and better education and better infrastructure public services for black communities um and he was like and, and everyone was like you can't do that that's so much money and he was like well where is that money going now it's going to bomb people in vietnam so i think it'd be better spent at home um so yeah that's <laughs> again still very salient today and so that was the first thing vietnam stands and how she was really behind that and ahead of him in that and how he when he came out about it it um had a huge consequence my second point about what I think is I, I really like about Martin Luther King Jr. is uh, um, his stance on economic justice. And let us not forget where he was at. Oh, what's really interesting is he was a sat, he gave his speech, his Riverside Church speech about the Vietnam War on April 4th, 1967. And he was assassinated on April 4th, 1968, like literally a year later. Um, it really just... I don't know. It's it's like is is that a metaphor for like the cost of speaking out and being true to your conscience and is it um the cost he paid for being sort of like true to his morals? I don't know, but it's it's really interesting. Exactly a year later. It's almost like that fact, you know, like Benjamin Franklin and oh my god, this is so embarrassing if I get the wrong people. But uh no, no. No, it's not Benjamin Franklin. No, he de- he didn't have bad blood with anyone. I'm pretty sh- with any of the founding fathers. It's Jefferson and Adams. Um, they were just like friends at the end of their lives, and they died on the same day on the July Fourth, like Independence Day. So crazy. History is so cool. Um, but yeah, he, at the end of his life, he was really into Vietnam War, but also sort of economic justice. And he was going to do the Poor People's Campaign, which is as as straightforward as you can get it, like Poor People's Campaign. Like, you know he's there for economic justice and nothing else. Um, well, obviously, like, other things, but that's really what the campaign was about, was economic justice. And he was super pro-union, uh, and he was there on the night of his assassination for a sanitation workers rally. And... Um, uh yeah i'll just spoil it but i'm actually i think i want to do next week's episode on this sanitation workers rally which i know is diverging from like doing people which i love doing people but it's just so interesting like the sanitation workers rally like the memphis sanitation workers rally that so i'm not going to say too much about it this week but um yeah tune in for next week because it's a really interesting historical event and um shows i think like a side of him that most people don't think of so much um and he was about the get jobs for all like the right to work sort of concept and he really freaked out everyone out when he started calling for poor whites to join his movement about economic justice they're like whoa that is actually scary (laughs) and um challenges our economic interests um poor people banding together what is that um but yeah he went ahead with that and i don't i'm not bringing this up as like I don't want to make this pop, like this show about like um, Martin Luther King Jr. because I literally said at the beginning that Coretta Scott King is important in her own rights. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, like the thing I brought up about Vietnam, was because she was really behind him on these issues. She was pushing him to be more progressive on these issues. Um, and so she, she was really about like poverty and 
especially women suffering under poverty and um about sort of like a communal sort of um I'm trying to think communal sort of community no I'm not going to use that word but yeah she was more about like sharing and lifting up um all communities and being interest oh intersectional that's kind of what I'm getting at like she wasn't just about um race and those kinds of civil rights but she was more holistic in her approach which is why I think she was the one who did push him to take on these other activities like poor people's campaign and stuff like that and he people cite like oh poor people's campaign that was his thing um at the end of his life but he never got to launch it actually and she was the one who launched it after his death um and the memphis march he didn't complete it and so guess who completed it coretta coretta scott king like three days after her husband is killed and she flies into Memphis, and she leads 42,000 people in a march, um, oh, it was four days later, but, like, he was killed on the night of, so really she only had three days, three days to get this thing together, and the mayor didn't concede even after King was shot, but after the march happened, and he saw how much mobilization there was around this issue, um, he, he recognized, uh, maybe he didn't, but, like, he got overridden, (laughs) the mayor was, like, really really the problem here um but the the union was recognized and better working conditions were uh not doled out because like they deserved them um but yeah better working conditions were decided upon and she really took up the mantle on this issue so um oh yeah this is more excerpts from her speech and this is more about economic justice quote we must now turn our attention and the sole force of the movement of people of goodwill to the problems of the poor here at home our con and also our congress passes laws which subsidize corporate farms oil companies airlines and houses for suburbia but when they turn their attention to the poor they suddenly become concerned about balancing the budget and cut back on the funds for head start medicare and mental health appropriations um oh so important to talk about today people are still doing the same things um, but yeah, she talks about her plans. She t- she lobbied Congress on Mother's Day, which is really cool, and she kicked off, like I said, the Poor People's Campaign, and she, in her speech, so, oh, let me first, so this is the speech that she gave, I think it was at Madison Square, Madison Square Garden, um, a couple weeks after his death. He was supposed to speak there, and this is honestly what seemed to be the um, pattern was he got killed and he couldn't go anymore, obviously, to these events that he was signed up to do, so she would go instead, and she would just give the speeches herself, and she was great at it, um, and she would address, she also addressed the woman directly as an important and vital part of the struggle, which I think he wouldn't, he would not have done, and it was really her kind of special touch to it, and, um, yeah, so I, I brought up these two main, sorry this this show is like really all over the place because it's it's like her life it's hard because her life is so intertwined with his so I can't go in a linear like this is what happened and this is this is what happened like it was it really is interconnected with his life because he overshadowed her like and and not maybe through any fault of his own but um her life was deeply intertwined with his and in, in both his life and his death, so it's kind of hard to, yeah, talk linearly about her, but, um, yeah, I wanted to touch upon those two issues, Vietnam War, economic justice, she was behind it, 
Okay, I talked about that. Um, so after he died and she's carrying on the legacy for these issues, she also does a lot of specific things to help commemorate him. She starts the King Center, which is still run today by a descendant of um, one of their descendants. <laughs> um, and it's about nonviolent change and nonviolent protest, sort of. And it's near his birth home, and it has around a million visitors a year, according to their website, which is a lot, I think. And also, this is this was her big project, um, and this is really fascinating because I'll, I'm about to tell you, um, which was her project to have Martin Luther King Day, and I think this is so important and so symbolic, and I know, okay, I'm not going to get too ahead of myself, I don't want to like break it down and analyze it because I have a whole paragraph on that but yeah she fought for MLK Day for 15 years and she spearheaded this effort and it was signed in in 1983 by Reagan and just to say like I think this is really interesting um but Dick Cheney and John McCain voted against it when they were in Congress so yeah that's on their hands um and she chaired the commission to implement the program of having this day um and it's now celebrated in public schools i celebrated it in public school and in college as i said we have a huge mlk day event um oh yeah this is where i want to talk about like sort of um someone this professor this is kind of going off topic but um um let me make sure oh Six thirty-eight. Okay, I'll just say it quickly. But a professor at our school was wrote in our school newspaper about how. So our school has like a common ground event where we bring establishment Democrats and establishment Republicans, and just you know, it's it's really not a lot of intellectual diversity that's actually going on there, um, and. Yeah, this professor wrote an interesting article in The Spectator about how Martin Luther King probably would not have been invited to our common ground Hamilton events because he would have been too radical and seen as too extreme in his time. And I think that's really important. And I think it's important to recognize like how stuff that is um, thought in a certain way back then in this day and age is so different. And I, I guess I'm also trying to say like, we should have more genuine intellectual diversity instead of pretending like, you know, establishment Democrats and Republicans don't take money from the same donors and, oh, it's so hard to find common ground sort of thing. Yeah, anyways, the whole common ground initiative sort of throws me off, so I just wanted to kind of complain about that, I suppose. Um, but yeah, she was also the first woman to deliver the class day address at Harvard, and um, she organized the 20th anniversary march of the 1963 Civil Rights March, which was the largest demonstration ever um, to take place in Washington at that point, she set a new record, which is, like, so amazing, um, because, I mean, everyone talks about, oh, the I had a dream speech, but, like, when that was going on, most people weren't on board, and most people weren't dreaming in that way, <laughs> and so it was really later when she, she sculpted his legacy, the reason why he is brought, seen to be such this great, revered figure, like, when you think of revered figures that I were I was taught in public education, it's like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and all these white men. And then it's Martin Luther King Jr. And I mean, he's still a man, but it's still um, like a little diversity in a sense. And the reason why we have that progress and 
um, he is so revered today is because of the way his wife, Coretta, went on to really change his legacy. Oh my god, I have so much to talk about still. Um, so after he died, she, and this is what I like about her, is like, she doesn't just go into race stuff, she goes into, she uses that platform, and her, her platform that she, I mean, I want to say like, as his wife, but like, she cultivated the sort of cult, uh, concept, cult of personality around him, so I credit everything to her, um, but she uses that to in really help out with other issues, um, so she was a huge hero, or not hero, like, supporter, I suppose, in the LGBTQ movement, and as far back as 1983, um, at the 20th anniversary march that I was just talking about, she brought an openly lesbian speaker who talked about her, like, lesbian experience and like she was very open about it and um and everyone was like no this is just about race and she was like no we're gonna have this speaker and um in 1993 she held a conference a press conference urging president clinton to stop the ban on gays and lesbians in the military and she also publicly denounced bush for his constitution i didn't even know this was going on he apparently had a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage i think i read this in the huffington post so fact check me on this but um yeah interesting constitutional amendment it was like a constitutional amendment to say marriage was like a sacred union between men and women sort of thing but anyways yeah the couple years later and it's legal so that's great but she was also um an activist in the apartheid movement she was actually arrested along with this is i think is so cool with three of her children uh, oh they were all like grown up by then she wasn't like bringing children like children children um but her kids I suppose, um, for protesting at the South African Embassy in Washington, and she also campaigned for peace in the Middle East, she was also into environmental justice, and most, like, I don't know, really cool to me is sort of had contact with animal rights, not really, actually not at all, <laughs> but like, she was actually vegan, so um, she might not have been going out there talking about it, but she was vegan as early as 1995 um, after the influence of her son, Dexter King, who learned it from, oh my god, I said Angela Davis, that's so wrong, it's not Angela Davis, I was thinking of someone else and I wrote down Angela Davis, I don't know why I did that, oh, there's another guy, Angela Davis is also, um, I believe she's vegan, I'm, I'm saying I believe, I'm not, I think she's vegan, not vegetarian, I think she is vegan, but yeah, and he says, he's outspoken about it, and he said, if you're violent to, you, to yourself by putting harmful things into your body that violate its spirit, it will be difficult not to perpetuate that violence onto someone else, which is such a nice quote, I love that, and um, yeah, they gave interviews to the Vegetarian Times, and she talked more about the health benefits, but I think it's so amazing that she was vegan, that she was abstaining from supporting animal oppression, um, that, and that already is, I, for me, like, I, I want to say, like, oh, I wish she just said one word about, like, we shouldn't be torturing animals and, like, end factory farming or something like that, but I'm really just, like, too happy that she was vegan to be disappointed in anything, and yeah, also, fun fact, Rosa Parks was vegetarian, um, yeah, I think that's really cool. And, um, Rosa Parks is also, like, way underrated, in my opinion. Like, when I grew up as a kid learning about her in picture books and stuff, it was like, oh, one day she was just tired and she, like, decided not to get up for the white guy on the bus. But, no, it was planned. Like, she was part of the NAACP and she planned everything out and she was, like, 
this is going to be the start of a boycott like she didn't just one woman suddenly she was part of a mass movement and she calculated and planned it out um yeah i think to her credit like it wasn't just sort of a a whimsical thing that was going on there yeah, but anyways, um, I wanted to say about these different issues that she touches upon, LGBTQ, apartheid, environmental, animal rights, uh, so forth, um, that it, what was so remarkable about her cultivation of her husband's legacy was instead of guarding it jealously, she extended its prestige as her conscience bid to I bid her to I suppose and she both built it up on one side as like this bipartisan thing that we should all agree upon and having MLK day passed and getting more people to the march and stuff like that and racism is wrong obviously but then she would also tie that like prestige like prestige also like reputation that she had worked so hard to build up and make push into the man mainstream um she also didn't hesitate from tying it to really more riskier issues like lgbtq issues and um stuff to move those issues forward and um what else did i write yeah it like it nothing really scared her away from taking on a whole host of other issues and i i wrote here like maybe she learned it from her husband but I also think like he might have learned it from her because if you look at what they stood for and who was pushing who to do like take what stands I think she had more of the long-term holistic mindset of like uh, oh my god it's already 646 but she had the more holistic mindset of like um you don't just fight for one thing you fight against all oppression like she really he's the one who said this like I think it's like it's it's like an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere but she really took that to the next level i think and really encompassed all these issues that he didn't even get to in his lifetime um okay relevance today she is still very relevant today oh oh i still have, i have to talk about how she died so she had a stroke um and then died five months later when she was getting treated for cancer she was 78 years old which I don't know is it's so young to me like I th I think that's too young um it's really sad um I feel like she deserved more years I mean I guess I suppose everyone deserves most people deserve more years but um yeah I feel like 70s I was thinking about this and I was like is that young or is that old or is that just good but I feel like in this day and age like you expect to live to your 80s um at least so yeah that's kind of, that's quite unfortunate but her funeral was a huge deal oh it was really funny i was no not not funny in that way but like i was reading an article about how it was attended by four of five living presidents and i was like who is the one that didn't come like that's so interesting who didn't come to coretta scott king's funeral which president um but it wasn't even like it was obama because he wasn't even a president at that time and he actually was at her funeral, just not as a former president. So, like, really everyone came to her funeral. Um, he came as a senator. Obama came as a senator. But I think it shows her life's work of moving civil rights into the mainstream, except into mainstream acceptance. And I, um, I, I really think, like, so Martin Luther King obviously did a lot of great things obviously and he went around and like did the marches and gave the speeches and so forth but she was the one that took that legacy and took his stances and pushed them into the mainstream and said this is something we should all be supporting like 
he died with a 75% disapproval rating, and then a couple decades later, he is a national holiday in all public schools. Like, she did that, and that is, I was thinking about this, like, the importance of different roles and what we can do to further movements and stuff, and, um, yeah, like, people that praise the King legacy today, it's not really to, that's nice, but, like, it's not really to their credit, because today it's socially acceptable to not be racist anymore, like, I mean, okay, like, it's still dog-whistled, and our president is, like, pretty more overt than usual with that sort of stuff, but racism still exists today, but it, like, socially, institutionally, economically, all that sort of stuff, but it's come such a long way, and, um, some days it might not seem like that, but if you think about, yeah, the 75% disapproval rating, and now my college has a day of service dedicated to him, um, he wasn't even, like, a volunteer he was more of an activist than a volunteer but yeah we have like a volunteer day devoted to him I think really shows her work and the importance of her work in in making like it's not about okay, I guess what I'm trying to say is like in a movement it's not about changing an individual individual opinions it's more about changing the whole social consciousness like my dad was telling me the other day about the overtone I think it's called the Overton Overton window of what is put into mainstream discourse and he talked about things but he wasn't in the mainstream and she was the one who like moved the actual window of conversation and shifted it to include him like that is so fundamental on just a whole other level she did that um okay what what did I write down here um yeah, I was written down here, when times change, it's obviously not because the people of today are better natured than the people of the generations before, it's because there was a small fraction in the generation before that reasoned, convinced, and inspired the people around them and made change. It is due to those hardworking people, uh, not just Coretta Scott King and her husband and famous activists, but obviously like the people that marched with her and boycotted with her and everything, but it's due to those people that the shift really comes. And I think about the vegan movement a lot, and um, in case this isn't clear, because I get people saying stuff like this, like, people freak out about this, like, I'm a woman and I'm a person of color, and I'm not comparing women and people of color to animals in any way, like, any intellectual capacity or helplessness capacity or anything like that, I'm not comparing the actual um, groups that are being marginalized, but I think if you think of the general trajectory of movements that fight widespread oppression, then there's so much to learn between every single movement, like animal and human and, I'm trying to think of it, like, you know, different sorts of human oppression, obviously, but, um, yeah, so not comparing, like, the victims, but, like, oh, I, yeah, I'm not, it's hard to explain, like, I'm, I'm not comparing them in that way, but the way that movements are treated, like, okay, like, the Gandhi quote, like, first they laugh at you, then, I think there's four things, but I can only remember, like, first they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win, um, that same trajectory, trajectory is the same across all, um, all movements, like, not for the vegan movement as well, and when we have a vegan world, I'm not going to say if, when, when we have a vegan world, it won't be because those people are more empathetic to animals in that world, it will just be because they grew up with that, and most people just go along eating what they've 
grown up eating and with the opinions that they've grown up having and that their parents had before them and um the reason why we live we don't live in a vegan world is not because people aren't empathetic to animals but there are things that override rationality and sort of like moral consistency stuff like um habit and societal norms and i think that is our goal whether by policy on one on one one conversations marches consumer choices obviously but our goal is to not change this group of people so much like this group of people alive today and individually so much as we're trying to get a greater goal to shift societal norms themselves like coretta scott king did um so i guess like yeah martin luther king in sort of a weird analogy like he would be you know the vegan activist like going out there like um we need to do this and that and okay i I don't know i don't want to draw an analogy in that way because it's like it's obviously very different black liberation and animal liberation but um and like women and liberation and all that sort of stuff but like there's one side that's oh we should do this and this is my activism and then there's people that come maybe a little bit after that um people like Coretta Scott King that normalize it that don't just convince one on like that don't just talk about I'm not really explaining myself correctly but um stuff like getting more people to be vegan and vegetarian like vegan vegetarians to be vegan and flexitarians to be vegetarians and normal people to be flexitarians that sort of sort of chain where we shift the entire social consciousness to be more accepting in a certain way which I mean if you look at the news like I think is really happening in the UK right now in terms of veganism anyways um but yeah um but back to kind of Coretta Scott King she is still relevant today we had the whole thing in 2017 I think uh where Elizabeth Warren wasn't allowed to read her letter against Jeff Sessions saying that he was not a good not a good guy um and it it was like it was really funny because not funny but like I I remember I think it was in that thing where um Mitch McConnell was like oh you like I told her she was told the reasons why and nevertheless she persisted and and they were like oh that got her good but instead that became this huge slogan where everyone was saying like nevertheless she persisted and stuff like that um but yeah I really respect Coretta Scott King because I see someone that was very in line with her values and very consistent and lived in a way that um she didn't I feel like she didn't have regrets I I can't speak for her obviously but she did everything she could and she took very courageous stances is what I would say very courageous like when no one else was taking them she would take them because she thought that was the right thing to do and that is such a rare quality and such a beautiful quality to have yeah so oh my god I have not talked this much on any episode um it's 6:55 now i guess i can play one song um but yeah next week's episode will be on the memphis sanitation workers rally um and we kind of you know gave us a, a teaser for that today so that should be exciting let me find the um cord and then i can plug in the oh here it is plug in the song but yeah oh my god 6:56 okay um